1: Yes. I hope by at this point you're on the way to the turkey trot. Yep. And preparing. Yep. Maybe you're listening to us in the car. That's
0: good. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble.
1: Yep. You'll see us there. Yes, you will. Pastor yeah. PJ is going to be in his shortest running shorts
0: you've no. ever seen. Nope. no, Not going to do that. Knee high socks? Nope.
1: Nope. None of that?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> not going to do any of that. None of that. But I'll be at the turkey trot. Okay. And you guys should be there too. Also, happy birthday, Eddie Contreras.
1: Eddie Contreras.
0: <laughs> yep. Birthday, <laughs> At the turkey
1: trot. Is he? I thought he was going to be in... Bro- Is it Broken Bow this week, buddy? Is he? I don't know.
0: I don't know. All right. Well, I hope he's there. Yo no sé. <laughs> Eddie, we love you. We're grateful for you. Yes, we are, man. Happy birthday. Doing well in partners, too. And happy Thanksgiving. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Dude, what if you just threw him under the bus and you were like, actually, he's not... He's not doing, doing, doing that well in partners. partners. I'm just going to say it. He's not. In honor of Thanksgiving,
1: I'm going to be truthful. I'm thankful... <laughs> Untruthful. Hey, what are you thankful for, real quick? Uh, hey, am, just just to say it, we're we're all thankful for Jesus. I get it. Okay, so I'm not going to Jesus juke you right now. Okay, what do you thankful for
0: Uh dude, I'm loving my family these days a lot. That's great. Yeah, I just am like the just what about kids, these days. My kids being a little bit older. Like we're we're out of the the baby infant uh, toddler yeah. stage. I don't know what that's like yet. And uh, it's kind of fun. Like there's a their own personalities emerge, and around the dinner table, it's it's fun to have conversations and you arguments. Everybody's mm-hmm. contributing, and yeah, uh, <laughs> fights and everything else. No, it's it's great, man. And uh, just thankful for them and and God's grace in in giving me the family that I've got. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm thankful for. I didn't uh, ask. <laughs> what, what are you? Thankful I for? assume
1: reciprocation. So I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I'm thankful for what we're doing. I know this is going to be so vanilla. I love what we're doing. We're start- we're planning a church. We're doing a podcast. We're working together. We're a small and-, and awesome team. We're in a small office, barely big enough to stretch your arms out. It feels sometimes like a jail cell, but it's a glorious jail cell. Kelly's in her corner out there. Kelly is in a literal corner. Yep. There's there's not a- there's no for- fourth wall. Nope. We are the fourth wall. It's just cool. It's a really fun, adventurous season. I love this stage of my life. I feel like I'm I'm not I'm not so old that I'm kind of like oh here we go again, but I'm not so young that I feel naive. I feel like I have my foot in the sweet spot, one foot in the world of of, of wisdom and the Word of God, and another foot staying. I'm still kind of young enough to do to do things. Yeah,
0: which I appreciate. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, Ezekiel twenty nine thirty thirty one. All about Egypt. Egypt, yeah. And we don't even finish Egypt. We finish Egypt tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. uh, So chapter 29 uh, opens January 587 or 586 again, depending on the dating here and whether it's not, whether it's from the captivity, words, words, cafeteria, cafeteria, whether it's from the cafeteria, whether it's from the captivity or, uh, why is that word so hard to say today? Or, or no captivity. Oh, captivity. Like it's coming out of my It's like, you know, when a word becomes a sound. Are you on medications? I'm not. Well, now nah, that's a lie. I'm on DayQuil. See, there you go. That's what's yeah, doing it for you that's why. Now. So 587, 586, depending on the dating time frame. Anyways, uh, this is a, a, a judgment against Egypt. And in Egypt was on the scene. A lot of times we think Egypt in the Bible, we just think all the way back to the Exodus. And, and certainly, I, I think that was the, the main picture and the main time that we see Egypt. But Egypt is still on the scene. Remember, the, the southern kingdom was tempted to trust in Egypt. Uh, they wanted to go down to Egypt. They wanted to make an alliance with Egypt, even towards the latter days, against Babylon so that uh, they could avoid the judgment that God was bringing against them. So what did God do? God said, well, I'm going to judge not just Judah, but I'm also going to judge Egypt as well and cut out from under Judah any hope that they would have, that there would be anybody that would be able to deliver them. And so uh, that was not just because of Judah's trust in Egypt, but also because of, as we see in this text, Egypt's pridefulness. Um and, and that's really what we see in chapter 29 is that Egypt was a very arrogant nation. In fact, they, they they even claimed the Nile is mine and I made it, verse 9. Okay, well, hello. God of creation has something to say about that. <laughs> and so he's, uh, he's going to do just that. And he's going to judge them. And, and later on, we're going to read that this judgment is going to involve the drying up of the Nile, Nile River as well. But... Egypt was going to be taken off the 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 landscape by God, judged by Babylon. But then there's this weird promise of a restoration in verse 13, where Egypt is going to be restored, but it's a quasi restoration because they're going to be restored, but they're going to be restored to a position and posture of humility amongst all the nations. And so it's like the judgment is going to even continue uh, passively even after God has allowed them to repopulate together. Um, but the repeated frame refrain, refrain here that that. Continues through Ezekiel, and I hope you're noting it every time you read it, but then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. It shows up everywhere. We see this repeated refrain uh, time and time and time again that God's judgment is meant to reveal His identity as the Lord, as the sovereign one, the ruler over all, and He's the ruler over the nations as well.
1: So you might. You're kind of trying to figure out, okay, why is this here? Why are we talking about Egypt? Uh, what, Where does this fit in the whole story arc? There is one in Ezekiel. And I, I would uh, submit to you that I, I think there's—the reason it's here is because we just finished talking about Tyre. Tyre was an economic powerhouse. And for that reason, they were proud and arrogant and perhaps— Israel would look to them and say, man, if only we were like Tyre. We had their money, their resources, their power, their prestige. And yet we know that also, on the other hand, Egypt being a military powerhouse, I mean, they probably had economic strength as well. that's, That's no doubt. But they also had military strength and prowess, which would have made them very attractive to Israel. Yet again, they always have been. They've always been a snare to them. And so God here highlights both the economic and the military strength, the powerhouses of the day, and says, don't look at them, Israel. Don't look to them as being... In some way, your strength or your safety, no. They're going to be judged, and their pride is going to be humbled. We talked about that in James chapter 4, yeah, 4 yesterday? Yeah, yep. I think so. James 4, we talked all about pride and humility. God opposes the proud, right? We God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I would submit to you this is a call to humility for Israel and to recognize that the proud do, in fact,
0: fall. Yeah, and then we get this weird shift to, mm-hmm. uh, to talk about something that happened, though, with Tyre. Uh, in verses 17 and following. Speaking of Tyre, here we go. Speaking of Tyre, um, uh, verse 18, Son of man Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald, every shoulder was rubbed bare, yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had performed against her. So here you have a picture where Babylon is laying siege to Tyre as was prophesied previously. I believe it was 26, chapter 26. 26, 27, 28. Yeah, where the the downfall of Tyre that we had, yeah, we had just talked about that recently in the last couple of episodes, and Babylon laid siege to Tyre, so we think, okay, here it goes, this is the downfall of Tyre, and yet Tyre withstands Babylon's judgment, uh, withstands Babylon's siege, they they survive, they go to this island, and the, the Babylonians eventually have to give up and, and walk away, and so this raises a massive question. Cut their losses, yeah, they depart. Yeah, the, it raises a massive question of, w- wait a minute, what? God said Tyre was going to be destroyed, and Babylon didn't destroy follow them. through and didn't destroy them. Yeah, what do we do with that? How is God? How is God's sovereignty still intact with this? Right. Listen, we would love to tie a bow on this for you and say, "Here's nice and neatly what it looks like." Uh, between the two of us, I don't think we were able to find that. Uh, this is a situation wherein. As one commentator put it, and I, I think this is as, as helpful as I found, is, is that this stresses God's freedom and providence and the mystery of both. Um, that even in his declared will and decreed will, there is a freedom that he exercises in his providence in orchestrating and carrying out these events that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, this is hard. One commentator said, uh, it, it, put it this way, that God will not be held hostage by his own word, but I, I, I don't know about you. I didn't I like, say that. I didn't like that. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, because that makes it seem like God is capricious and somehow he's going to. How can we trust any of his promises if he's not going to be faithful to, to follow through with them? So, Pastor Rodney, in your study on this passage, what, what were some helpful things for you that you found? Okay, um, I
1: think maybe two I could crystallize. One. Um, and maybe these are related, and they're actually one thing. But what I would say, prophecy is, is complex. Prophecy is multifaceted. In fact, we, we, we're going to look at some of those prophecies in the coming weeks, I trust, as we, uh, as we enter into Christmas season. We're going to look at Isaiah 7, um, Isaiah 9, and you're going to look at those texts, and you're going to say, well, oh, these points to Jesus. Absolutely, they do. But how exactly they do that is a, is a little more challenging than, than what meets the eye. Now, I would say prophecy in and of itself is a is a challenging proposition. Understanding it rightly is takes some interpretive strength and wisdom. So I would say that first and foremost, prophecy is not always as black and white. Man, I, had, I don't even like saying it that way. Prophecy is not always as self-evident as we would like it to be. That's a good word for it, self-evident. Compound word. Secondly, I would say that given the the prophecies about Tyre. I would say that the fulfillment must take place. I would disagree with the commentator and say that God's going to exercise the right to do something different. That's clear. I mean, he uses Jonah to prophesy to the Ninevites. Uh, they're going to be destroyed, and then they repent, and then God relents. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. This is different. They're not repenting. They seem to have evaded his judgment, which in that case, I think is an entirely different situation. For that reason, I would say that God will fulfill it and maybe perhaps has fulfilled it in one way, but yet has a, as a future fulfillment that I just can't see yet because like the mountain peaks, there's multiple fulfillments to consider. Now, but that's what I would say. Prophecy is complicated and complex, takes skill and exegetical insight and wisdom to interpret it correctly. And number two, um, God's will, God's word will be accomplished, although not always in the ways that I expect or, or the ways that I would... Observe most naturally. There could be a future fulfillment, but maybe it was already fulfilled in his, in his own
0: way, and I just didn't understand it the right way. Yeah, it's helpful. I think you're right on that. Uh, chapter 30, one, I guess, important note, verse 21, we had mentioned this earlier, that it looks like the, the prophet was mute aside from when God had called him to, to prophesy, but in verse 21, he, his mouth is opened. He is no longer mute, it looks like. Chapter 30 then continues the judgment against Egypt with a lament this time. And uh, one thing that jumped out to me that that again is just one of those okay God you're God and I'm not and I take it for granted so often because I read it through the eyes of of 21st century sitting in in the United States and in, in Prosper Texas and it's like okay yeah so sure this is how it goes but verse 11 he and his people with him the the most ruthless of nations God is using this group of people to execute His judgment God be like is, hey
1: I'm going to send the Nazis to you
0: right I'm going to send the well, I don't want to use any other nations
1: right now, but you get the idea. Right. Bad right. people. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, and we read it, and I think it the, the distance from this time yeah. causes it to lose some of its impact, but it shouldn't. It's, it's, it's one of those thoughts to go, okay, God, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, because I wouldn't do things this way, but this is how God is doing it. Uh, a couple of of date notes, or one in particular, verse twenty. You've got April in about five eighty seven. So this is right before the fall of Jerusalem, right when uh, Zedekiah had reached out to Egypt for uh, for help and uh, and and asked them to to help. Egypt had had intervened in the the siege on Jerusalem for a brief amount of time. And then Babylon's going to go and and take Egypt off the the scene and and remove them from the the situation and then come back. Chapter 31 then is the direct uh, prophecy against Pharaoh and his ultimate demise and destruction. The tree imagery there is going to show up in Daniel as well. I think this is a common uh, motif that we find in the prophets uh, to compare a leader or a nation to a tree under which all of the the nations take their refuge. And the judgment is when the tree is stripped bare. And that's going to happen here to, to Pharaoh as well.
1: Well, in chapter 29, when he's talking to, when he's talking to about the Pharaoh rather back in April of 587, uh, I just thought it was funny that he was going to break both of his arms because I break (laughs) one arm and then I break both. (laughs) In my mind, I just pictured Pharaoh with two like noodley looking arms. I don't know. It was probably not meant to be funny, but I I laughed a little bit.
0: There it is. That's a a picture inside Pastor Rod's mind as he's uh, reading my Bible. Bible. All all sorts of pictures happen. Yeah, but again, what do we do with, with this judgment against Egypt? How does that impact us today? I, I think, again, it's one of those reminders that God is God and we are not. And uh, and just the humility that, uh, that we should have in, in remembering that and the, the, the gratitude that we should have as well, that as he works out his plan, um, he's provided Christ for us in the midst of all of this. And that is a, a good thing. Remember, Israel was not; Judah was not uh, a victim in all of this. It's not as though this is a a, a God that it just woke up one day and picked up his magnifying glass and started zapping the the Israelites and Judah uh, inhabitants of of Jerusalem. There, they had been given time after time after time after time of opportunity to repent, and this is God's judgment. and And we're now in a, a window where God has provided an opportunity, a window to repent. And judgment is going to come down the road in the future. But we can be grateful and thankful that right now we we are in a place where the gospel is available and we get to to go and make it known. In fact, we're going to be talking about that on Sunday um, in a message that uh, is going to be all about the harvest field. That's exciting, man. I think
1: it's Psalm, uh, not Psalm, Isaiah 40. All the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Yeah. They're they're less than nothing. Uh, Nations rise, nations fall. God is the the common denominator. He's the consistent mean. He never changes. He will never be displaced. He'll never have a season where he was not God because he was dethroned. The nations do. They wax and wane, but God
0: himself does not. Yeah. Yeah. James 5, our New Testament reading, opens with a passage warning uh, the rich against the putting too much confidence and trust in the rich and allowing the their wealth to corrupt them. Again, the issue is not having money, but it's it's loving money is putting your full trust and confidence <laughs> in money, and so he's addressing that again as Pastor Rod said yesterday. The book of James is an intensely practical book, and so this is a, a similar themes that we find in the the book of Proverbs repeat themselves in in the book of James, and this is another one how we approach and think about and deal with our wealth. Uh, verses seven and following then, he talks about, um, I, I love the way he puts it in verse eight, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Strengthen yourself, prepare yourself, embolden your hearts, be ready uh, no matter what happens around you, suffering, trials, uh, anything going on, persecution, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's, it's imminent there. And it's interesting. He says the judge is standing at the door. It, it reveals to us that I think James and I think also John had an expectation that that Jesus could come back at at any time, Mm -hmm. at any time. And it's been almost 2000 years since they wrote and he still hasn't come back, but these things are still true. He is standing at the door and his return could be at any moment. And so we should strengthen our hearts as well. Establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand.
1: One of the more obscure passages, although Jesus talks about this, I like verse 12, but above all, uh, my brothers don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any, Uh, other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation Um, two two observations one james says above all uh, which is kind of an interesting highlight if you ask me i would think well highlight anything else really almost anything else that he said but this is in his mind one of the one of the greatest areas of concern for him above all pay attention to this what's the this don't don't swear, don't make oaths. and we're not talking about swearing like we understand today modern day, but just no, not making oaths. and this is part of that sin of the tongue that he's concerned about. Um, what, what man can can be perfect and control his tongue. Well nobody, uh, but by the grace of God we do have control over it. so he's saying don't don't make professions, don't don't write checks with your mouth that your body can't cash. don't don't swear on anything. Instead, let the simplicity be yes and no, which speaks to our truthfulness with one another. It speaks to our integrity. Mm. Um, so many things that are that are in that. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, why would he say this above all, above all? I think there's a lot of implications there, but that's interesting to note, something worth your
0: time in your Bible study. Yeah, for sure. Then the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 13, I want you to go through and I want you to note how many times he references prayer in this section. I think we can get caught up on some other things in this section, but the, what this section is really about is what the ESV titles it, at prayer. Um, he's talking about suffering. Pray. He's talking about if you're sick, uh, Hey, pray and also call for the elders of your church to be there to, to pray for you. Um, confess your sins, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Uh, yeah, That's this cool. is a, this is about prayer, right? That's this is prayer. about how useful a resource prayer is specifically within the community of the body of Christ and praying for one another. I think it is noteworthy here. As we talk about cessationism. That when James says if anyone is among you is sick he doesn't say call for the person in your church with the gift of healing and they'll come and, and heal you
1: mm. he says
0: call for the elders mm-hmm. to come and pray for you that you may be healed right That's right so there we see uh, some further evidence I, th- I think it's it's implicit more than explicit but I do, I do think it lends support to the idea that that some of the gifts were no longer in operation as the church established itself and continued to grow in the in the uh, even in the early stages here of the New Testament totally But uh, let's talk about oil, anointing oil. All right. Is it uh, it something that we should carry around with us today? (laughs) Should I have a vial of olive oil in my pocket and pull it out? And when I see somebody say, I'm sick right now. So, Pastor Rod, do you have some olive oil that you can...
1: I can get some.
0: You can. (laughs) (laughs) I have no doubt that you can.
1: I could. And, and you know, I have some olive oil at home, I think. Maybe some canola oil.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know... Sometimes you'll go to a Christian bookstore and you'll see, you'll see it there. oil for sale. I used right? to buy some yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And listen, here's the thing. There is, there's a lot of debate over what this oil was about. There's debate over whether this was uh, some metaphorical uh, symbolism here. There's debate about whether this was just an an oil that was meant to represent the Holy Spirit. This was, there was debate about whether this was medicinal. Um, it, and there was a, a lot of, of questions out there. One thing that's abundantly clear, and I think sometimes a good interpretive principle is to go back to Occam's razor. The simplest interpretation is the preferable interpretation. I think here, one thing that's abundantly clear is when somebody's sick, it's good for us to be praying for them. And so we can do that 100% and know that we should do that. And so if you've got somebody in your church, you've got somebody in your community group, whatever, under the weather, it's good to pray for that person. And that's a a helpful practice for us to, to get into.
1: I would heartily amen that. And I guess to, to to throw it out there for you guys, just so you have some mental categories, the two biggest approaches to this you have a practical approach, which is the medicinal, the, the, the um, uh, the, yeah, the medicinal approach. And then there's the religious. So the practical and the religious, religious side is the more, everything else that you were talking about. Um, I, I think I'm convinced that it is symbolic. It's a symbolic thing. Uh, and, and the reason why I'll be short with this one I, I don't think it's medicinal because if it were, um, I think they could have done that themselves. I forget which commentator Fair. I read that yep. said that they, they could do that. They, they had the means they could have, a neighbor would have had that. Someone would have had that, town doctor would have had some, they would have had the, the access to it. So I don't think it's medicinal. Um, but I do think there is a symbolic connotation. Um, and so I, I would subscribe to the fact that if someone did want to have to, to be anointed, oh, okay, well, the, to your point earlier, the emphasis on this is the prayer right. The, the minor key, the, the, uh, Oh, by the way, anointing, you know, that, that's kind of incidental and there's nowhere else in scripture where this is used in the same way. So I, the, the emphasis is not on the anointing oil The emphasis is on the prayer, which you don't need anointing oil to do. But if you're going to, and you, and you want that and, and it would help you, then okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with it necessarily, but we don't, we don't carry it on our person.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Hey, we're grateful that you guys joined in for Thanksgiving. Yeah, put some like oil this. on your turkey and your potatoes and all the good things. Maybe they're, somebody's deep frying their turkey. I know Ooh. of somebody deep frying their turkey Is in that our you? congregation. Nope.
1: Nope. All right. Nope. I'd, I'd like to try <laughs> some.
0: And I won't sell them out in case it doesn't go well. <laughs> okay. But I don't think you deep fry an olive oil either. I, yeah, probably not. Yeah, no, I don't think uh, so. You shouldn't do that. But hey, thanks for joining us. And hey, Lord willing, <laughs> we'll be back we'll with be you We'll be back again tomorrow. tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Peace.